welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And it's another mailbag. Yeah, I couldn't remember what I did last time for the mailbag intro, and then I, I got this like sense that it had passed <laughs> whatever I was supposed to do. <laughs> uh, it's very quick and speedy, right? Because that's the whole point of these. Yes, let's keep it snappy. And in that spirit, let's share an email from Tea Books and Chocolate. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tea Books and Chocolate reached out based on our Jasper Jones episode from earlier this week. And mostly it's to do with our discussion about own voices. And I thought that this was really interesting, right? So Tea Books and Chocolate... They were referencing the fact that Craig Sylvie, the author of Jasper Jones, got into some trouble with his follow-up book. I keep saying follow-up like it's a sequel. With the next book he wrote (laughs) because he was writing about a trans experience. And of course, that's not his own lived experience. And I'll confess, I didn't dig into the details, even though Tony did encourage us when they were recommending that we check out Jasper Jones. Mm -hmm. But I, I wanted to get your opinions on... What do we constitute as own voices and when are certain people trespassing on the lived experiences of others, Brenna? Maybe this is going to sound like a cop-out answer. I don't mean it that way, but I think mm-hmm. that a big thing that matters is like how many texts there are on the market. Oh, so okay. like the reason why own voices is important, I think, for me – anyway, as a reader, um, is to make sure that I'm reading from a range of experiences and that there's a market for those experiences. And I think one of the big concerns about, for example, cis writers writing trans experiences is that like for most of publishing, Mm -hmm. trans stories have been written by cis writers. Right. And so like, it's less about like, do you you tick the appropriate box? Although I guess that's part of it, but more Mm -hmm. like... You know, when we have a plethora of trans stories from all different experiences, then I might be more interested in what a Craig Sylvie has to say about that narrative. Right. Because then he's writing into a tradition. It becomes a little bit different. But right Mm -hmm. now, any cis writer is really kind of taking up space in like the limited kind of commercial appetite that there is wrongly, of course, but like truthfully for trans narratives. So for me, I think that's a big part of it. Like once a culture has more um, space in the market, I become less anxious about ensuring that I'm reading primarily own voices when I read those stories. Does that make sense? I think it does. Yeah. And I'm I'm not going to say I'm going to play devil's advocate, but I think one of the challenges that we face with this kind of line of thinking of like, let's make sure that until there's a better number of people writing own voices narratives, it's like, okay, well, how do we get these stories out here? Because part of the struggle from my limited perspective is that it's hard to prove to somebody like at a publishing house where they're in it to make money, like they want to sell books, they want to sell titles. How do you convince people to take a chance on an own voices narrative unless there's some kind of market appetite for it? Or you've got like a goodwill person where they're saying we need to be doing better. So I think there is an opportunity for allies to say, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to I'm going to use my clout if I'm a well-known author to publish something that proves that people will buy a trans book and then I champion other people to do that. I don't think that's a great approach, but I think that's maybe a way of getting some of those 
discussions or ideas out into the ethos. My preferred way of doing this is something like what we saw with All American Boys, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's two authors coming together to co-write something. And I think it also addresses another piece that Tea Books and Chocolate raises, which is this idea that like we live in an age of sensitivity readers and that we can pay to use community consults. So like there's no reason why somebody should be getting titles wrong. And if you feel like you want to tell a story but that's not your own experience, you can collaborate or you can pay people to make sure that you're doing it correctly. And for me, that's where a lot of the representation falls flat. People want to write stories about marginalized communities because there's something interesting there or they're they're taken with it, but then they do a bad job and it just ends up hurting the entire movement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that these are all really important points. And this is getting at another piece that I think can be uncomfortable to talk about, but like mm-hmm. quality also matters, right? Sure. Like if someone is a better writer, is maybe more capable of more fully exploring or embodying a character, that that's going to make a difference as to whether their foray into writing someone else's experience works, right? And I think mm-hmm. sometimes we shy away from that part of the conversation. Like, you know, some authors are never going to be good at that piece. Like, we give John Green a hard time on this show because all of his narrators sound the same, right? Right. So if Which he is just, not good writing. It's no. <laughs> It's not. He has other strengths. But if he was trying to sort of do like a, I don't know, like a diverse reads kind of situation, like I cringe at the imagination of that from the beginning because all of his protagonists sound the same. I happen Mm -hmm. to kind of dig the way his protagonists sound so it works for me. So it doesn't bother you as much. But it's definitely going to factor into whether or not I think it's a great idea for him to decide to represent someone else. And Thankfully, John Green doesn't try to do this. And instead, he takes the tack of, you know, he's like a superstar author. So he can post about a book or a story mm-hmm. on his Instagram or on his TikTok and like drive readers to that text, which, right. you know, I think we've always talked about. That's probably the best use of like yeah. privilege in this space is to is to help people find their way to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because it also then puts it back on you to say, oh, I need to be remaining current and seeking out who are the people like, sure, I have clout, but also I need to use it responsibly. It then falls on me to make sure that I'm seeking out people who can benefit from that acknowledgement. So it's like, you can't just write in isolation, right? Like yeah. you you need to be acknowledging who else is out there doing the work. And then if you've got that spotlight, then you need to share that wealth. I think we also need to use own voices as like something that we seek out as part of our practice of intentional reading and not like as a mm-hmm. cudgel that we beat writers with. So oh, yeah. mm-hmm. on more than one occasion on the show, we've talked about texts that were – I think this particularly happens with like bisexuality stories. Is right. There, there's this immediate sort of clamoring that people want to know if the author is actually bisexual or not. And – um you know, like writers get outed on Goodreads over this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and I think it's particularly a tetchy, ugly subject that comes up around around queerness and disability, mm-hmm. like things that aren't necessarily like visible to the eye. Yeah. And things that people shouldn't be made to have to disclose unless they feel comfortable with it, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that that's why I think I think it's the wrong spirit to be like I'm going to pick up a book and examine whether or not it's own voices 
and mm-hmm. more like, hey, you know, I don't read enough books from Latin right. America. I'm going to look up some own voices writers from that part of the world and read those stories. Like, I think right. that's the more kind of positive, engaged, supportive way of using it as a movement. And, you know, some of my favorite books ever are not own voices stories. The example I always give is She's Come Undone by Wally Lamb, which I read mm-hmm. when I was like 14, which was probably too young to read <laughs> That's that. That's a bit young. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but like, I had no idea that Wally Lamb was a man. Like, no oh, idea. Okay. that The way that Lamb writes about a, a woman's coming of age, and particularly a woman who feels socially ostracized because of her body, felt so honest, so genuine, and so real to me. I assumed Wally was short for like some woman's name I'd never heard of. Sure. <laughs> like, I just assumed. And so it's not that it can't be done. It's that it has to be done with care. Because if it's not done with care, then it's reifying just all the worst parts of publishing that, you know, in the context of this show, Joe, we spend all this time fighting against, right? So it only mm-hmm. makes sense that we support own voices stories when we can. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I mean, I don't think this is even an issue that necessarily needs to be solved so much as I like revisiting the conversation. I think this is an area where it's important for us to be able to have discussions. And I'm very appreciative of the fact that you said, you know, it can't be something that we use for clout or to browbeat people. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you think that this is important, then seek it out. Like, that's one of the reasons you and I changed some of the books on the schedule this year Mm -hmm. so that we could touch on more international texts because we recognize not a deficiency, but just how easy it is to fall into a pattern of behavior where it's like, well, I've got access, easy access to North American books. Therefore, that's what we read. Oh, well, all of the books that are on the the bestseller list happen to be written by men, but that's the easiest ones I can get a hold of. So that's what I read. It's like, mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to be willing to put in a smidge more work if it's something that you feel is truly important. And, you know, for you and I, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Tea Books and Chocolate ends with this question that I think is helpful. I guess my question is once again, sorting through the nuance of this book tells an effective story and the story it tells is overplayed and we need more alternative perspectives. Maybe the question is along the lines of how do you differentiate between micro level in the book critique versus macro level publishing and what stories are given space critique? Um, And I think that's what we've been talking about here, Joe. It's like... Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not something you think about on every individual text you pick up, but more like an arc that you watch in your own reading, which is like right. if every book you read is written by white people, regardless of who it's about, that might be something that you want to apply more mm-hmm. care and attention to. And I I think – like an example of this for me is queer white male stories in YA. Mm-hmm. We're not – we don't have a shortage of that anymore. You know what I mean? Nope. <laughs> so when Alice Osman tells a story of Heartstopper or you – know, and we have a lot of – there's like a lot of white women, YA writers who write queer characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, queer male characters. And it doesn't feel like an imposition because we know that there are places for the own voices version of that story to be told and, and to be celebrated and to be popular. Right. And so I do think it has a lot to do with – sort of the taste of the market and what people are paying attention to and who is getting accolades. Like, I I think it's complex and I think it's ever shifting. And Mm -hmm. um, I think the important point is just that if we're reading attentively and we're reading mindfully, we're paying attention to all these things, you know? Right. 
I know yeah. lots of people are like, I don't want to track my reading because that's annoying. And I get that. But also, sure. you will be surprised until you track your reading about how yeah. many people you read who are exactly the same and a lot like you. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah. As you were going through that, I was like, I think that's one of the reasons why it's beneficial to use something like Storygraph, where part of their algorithm and part of their metrics is that you can track some of these things. Like, mm -hmm. I think I tried to do a challenge or I signed up to do a challenge this year where I said, I'm going to try to read like more translated books. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's like one of the things I, I believe, don't quote me on that if you're following me on Storygraph, but <laughs> you know, it, it's useful to have those kinds of things or even yeah. just set a goal for yourself. Like yeah. every other book, I'm going to do this or like one book a month or something like that. Depends on how much you're reading. It depends on what your goals and your aspirations are. But I would say, you know, Tea Books of Chocolate ends the email by suggesting, oh, I, you know, this isn't my background. I'm, I'm still trying to find my way through this. And I'm like, you're asking the question. That's yeah. the best first step you could have ever taken. Absolutely. I think attending to it, as soon as you start to attend to it, you notice it. And and that's the same thing. Like As soon as you start thinking about trying to support own voices writers because of the kind of monolithic whiteness, mm -hmm. cisness, heterosexuality of the book buying market and public, yep. then you start to notice. And mm -hmm. I think that that is really all you can do because you don't run a publishing house. You can just be mindful yep. about things in your own writing. Unless somebody who listens to us does own a publishing house, in which case, where are our free books? <laughs> I mean, we, we do occasionally get offered we do. readers, but yeah. Sometimes. Um, okay. I think that's probably a good place to stop because this is not a small conversation. No. So this is probably the best we can do in about 12 minutes. But uh, <laughs> More soon in the future, we promise. There we go. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll continue having it because I think there's interesting points. But if other folks would like to chime in, that's part of the reason that we have the mailbag option. So if you want to get in touch with us, be sure to reach out either using the hashtag HKHSpod on Twitter or you can send us a long-form email at HKHSpod at gmail.com. That's right. And we love reading them, so send them because they're fun. Mm-hmm. But Brenna, I think that'll do it for this mailbag. We'll be back on Tuesday with a little bit of book club, right? Yee-hee! So excited! Yeah. All right. Stay tuned, folks, and we'll talk to you when we venture to the UK to talk about tea. <laughs> 